You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, my co-host Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have Tesco's, Whitbread, Sainsbury's, ASOS, Unilever, and Activision Blizzard. So, should we kick off with Tesco, Sam? Yes, let's start with Tesco. Tesco's had their third quarter and Christmas sales out this week, with sales rising 3.3%, excluding fuel, reflecting a strong performance in the UK market. Management have upgraded forecasts, with retail operating profit now expected to top £2.6 billion, and Tesco's bank operating profits expected to come in between 160 and 200 million pounds. If we break the results down a little further, retail sales in the UK and the Republic of Ireland were up 2.7% to 18.6 billion pounds, with sales in the UK reaching 14.8 billion pounds, which is up 0.2% on a like-for-like basis and 7.5% ahead of pre-pandemic trading. Both large store sales and tes- sales in Tesco's Express, the sort of convenience stores, were ahead of the pre-pandemic levels, and they increased their market share in both online and in-store. Online sales remain 58% ahead of 2019 figures. In the Republic of Ireland, like, like sales were actually down 2.1%, with sales totaling £937 million, but they were up against tough comparatives. In Central Europe, sales were up 5% to £1.5 billion, and the wholesaler Booker had very strong performance from both the retail and catering arms, with like-for-like sales up 17.5%. Total sales topped £2.9 billion. In Tesco's bank, sales were up 33.6% to £349 million, which was partly down to Tesco's now having full ownership of Tesco's underwriting. In terms of valuation, Tesco's has a market cap of just under £22 billion and trades at approximately 24 times earnings. That compares with a 10-year average of 11.6, and it has a prospective dividend yield of 3.7%. So I am a current uh, Tesco shareholder, and this is probably the happiest I've ever been. I thought these numbers were very impressive, given the strong comparators they were up against. And it's really positive to see the group performing in spite of the supply chain issues and overcoming the threat from the discounters. It's also very positive to see Booker, which they acquired a few years ago, performing well as part of the overall group. And shareholders like me have got a buyback of £500 million to look forward to and ongoing increasing dividend yield, which is a healthy 3.7% at the moment. I suppose in terms of valuation for supermarket, it is quite high, but this is the best that the business has been for a very long time. uh, And I'll be holding my shares. Sam, what do you think of these results? I think they're very impressive results. I think same as last time to, to beat the Last year's figures, they were up against very tough comparatives and they've beat it. And it's it's a decent beat as well for a supermarket. And it's what should be quite a low growth business anyway. The dividend yield's very attractive at 3.7%. But for me, the PE is a bit too high. I think it's probably because it is such a high quality business and it is performing and the dividend's so good. It's probably getting a high valuation almost because it's basically working as a bond proxy. 
I think it's worth interesting as well because that 10-year average PE of 11.6 is incredibly low. And I think if you look at the business now compared to where it's been over the last 10 years, I mean, the 10-year average PE doesn't really tell you very much because it, yeah. it includes some very, very rough years for Tesco. So I don't, I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't be sat around waiting for it to go back to the 10-year average because I don't think it will. But for me, pushing 24 times earnings, despite the dividend yield being as good as it is, for me, it's too pricey. Um, and that's partly why, obviously, last or when was it? Last month, when it, whenever it was, we sold it in the fantasy portfolio. We did. We did. Not in my own portfolio, though. No. <laughs> okay. And it was actually, just, just, just to draw attention back to that, it was one of our strongest performing shares of the portfolio. Well, you picked it, so it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> Fine. Okay. On to our next company. Yes. So next up, we have Whitbread. Whitbread, for anyone who doesn't know, they are a hotel business and their best known brand is, well, it's, they're basically Premier Inn. That's probably the easiest way to think of them. They have come out with a third quarter trading statement and like-for-like sales were down 1.3% in the third quarter. Positive UK accommodation performance was more than offset by an overall decline in food and beverage sales, while Germany reported declines across the board. In the six weeks to 6 January 2022, the presence of Omicron dampened demand. UK accommodation sales were 5.1% ahead of pre-pandemic levels, with occupancy levels at 65.7%. But total sales in the UK were down 4.4% due to a decline in food and beverage. Management said, whilst the impact of the Omicron COVID-19 variant has resulted in a softening of hotel bookings in recent weeks, it remains too early to assess what the impact on sales will be for the rest of the financial year. If we compare the results to 2019 levels, UK sales fell 1% with a 5.5% rise in accommodation, more than offset by a 13.4% drop in food and beverages. The average room rate rose from £58.77 to £64.84 and occupancy stood at 81.4% for the period. In Germany, sales were down 31.5% with accommodation down a third and food and beverage dropping 22.1%. The average room rate of £43.99 was up from £37.60 the previous quarter. The occupancy rate came in at 59.9%, up from 47.5% in the second quarter. Operating cash flow over the period was positive and net cash on the balance sheet stood at £120.5 million. In terms of the valuation, there's no earnings at present, so it's trading at a price to book of 1.68 and the 10-year average price to book is 1.73. It does, however, now have a prospective dividend yield of 0.8%. So my view is I think the shares are quite expensive I'll just have a look at how the share price is actually doing. Yeah, so it's trading at about £31 a share, and that compares to a 52-week high of 37 and a 52-week low of just under 27. So it is near that low, but then if you actually... So what I did was I had a look at the 2019 earnings, and if you treat them as normalised earnings, if it was just to get back to 2019 levels, it would be trading at a P of 25 if you use the diluted earnings, or a P of 18.7 if you use the adjusted earnings, which is probably what they'd want you to use i think 18.7 times earnings is still quite expensive for the business it is i don't mass i know they've got the G- germany and that's that is growing but i don't massively see where the growth comes from it's not a business that i particularly like i think there's a lot of uncertainty if we're in, if we are in a world now where covid is just something we have to live with with all these new variants every year 
that's probably not good if that's just if this is something that could keep coming up year after year and even if it isn't if they're just going to get back to where where they were it still seems quite pricey compared to that i think what do you think john i, I do tend to agree with you i suppose if you were to make a bit more of the bull case i suppose you're going on the basis that it is in recovery and that if we are going to learn to live with it and we're not going to have the same response to covid that we have done in the last nearly two years then perhaps it could get get back and maybe grow from where it was before i guess it is you know in the at the budget end of the market it is probably the strongest of the brands you know if you compared it with the likes of travel lodge it's probably not well no it's definitely not one that i would buy i did look at it a few years ago when it had costa but i think it was a very different business back then and now it's essentially just premier in it's much less attractive so yeah i think even at the current price, which, you know, you've indicated you think is on the expensive side for what it is. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be buying any shares. No. Should we, should we move on swiftly then to Sainsbury's? <laughs> okay. So Sainsbury's, uh, slightly better here. The market cap about 6.6 billion. They had their third quarter and Christmas sales out and trading was better than expected with retail sales down 5.3% uh, year on year but up 1.4% on a two-year, so pre-pandemic basis, which meant that full-year underlying operating profit guidance was lifted from 60 million, uh, up uh, by £60 million pounds to £720 million. In terms of grocery sales in the third quarter, they were down 1.1%, but up 6.6% on a two-year basis. General merchandise was disappointing, falling 16% year-on-year and 11% compared with pre-pandemic levels. Clothing also down. 2.7% though, year on year, and 1.7% from 2019. In terms of Christmas retail specifically, total sales were down 2.9% year on year, but up 2.4% compared with pre-pandemic levels. Online orders were up to about 700,000 weekly from 300,000 weekly back in 2019 but they pulled back from the highs of around 850,000 at the height of lockdown. The group were keen to highlight that sales of Taste the Difference Rangers were performing strongly with sales in the key Christmas weeks up 13% compared with two years ago. And those, those ranges have higher margins, they, they would uh, be keen to stress. They also highlighted that they were top in customer satisfaction within the supermarkets, but interestingly, they were second to Tesco's when it came to online groceries. In terms of valuation, Sainsbury's has a market cap of just under £6.7 billion and trades at just under 12.5 times earnings, has a prospective dividend of 4.3%. So I suppose these results, again, up, uh, up against strong comparatives, as we said, with Tesco's, and they're much better than they were compared with pre-pandemic, but not as good as Tesco's. It's probably not surprising that the shares are rated much more lowly at only 12 and a half times earnings. And it's also interesting that I suppose with Argos, that's not working as well for it as it might. And you see that particularly in the general merchandise sales. So overall, I don't think they were terrible at all, but uh, probably not, not as good as Tesco's. I guess it's a question of would you pay up for Tesco's uh, if you were looking for a decent retailer in the UK or listed on the FTSE 100. I probably would, Sam. I... But you probably wouldn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think the results, they aren't 
they aren't very good when you compare them to Tesco. I think is it? total retail sales are only at 1.4% on a two-year basis. I think that's very poor, actually. And when you when you do compare it to Tesco's, Tesco is clearly the better business. I don't know if it's twice as good, though. And it is twice <laughs> as expensive. It is twice, yeah. And yeah. you do get a 4.3% yield from Sainsbury's. I prefer Tesco as a business. I actually think if I had to have Sainsbury's or Tesco because of the valuation difference, I'd probably be going with Sainsbury's. I just think Tesco's, if it's going to be low single-digit growth, 24 times earnings is a lot. Whereas at 12.4 times earnings with a 4.3% dividend yield, Sainsbury's doesn't actually need to grow. Fair enough. Fair enough. Would you be buying either though? No. No, I wouldn't. But fine. It's, it's, I actually think I have Tesco on my watch list. I don't have Sainsbury's. <laughs> but <laughs> it is just because I do prefer, I do, as a business, I do really rate Tesco. But yeah, Tesco yeah. would, would, it and obviously there is scope. Yeah, there is scope to grow that dividend as well at Tesco's. Right, let's go on. So ASOS. Yes. So ASOS have come out with a stating, uh, stating treatment, trading statement and revenue in the four months to 31 December rose 5% to £1.4 billion, excluding the impact of currency changes, which was in line with guidance. This reflected growth in the UK, US and Europe, which was tempered by a decline in the rest of the world as delivery delays weighed. Full-year guidance is unchanged for revenue growth between 10 and 15%, and underlying profit before tax between 110 and £140 million. The group is in the process of applying to list on the London Stock Exchange's main market, which, if approved, would take place on or after 21 February 2022. And the shares were up 7.8% following the announcement. So sales in the UK beat expectations and increased 13% to 645 million as demand for going out where improved. In the US, sales rose 11% to 172.6 million, but were held back by supply chain issues and pot port disruption. EU sales rose more slowly at 2% to 390.2 million as COVID restrictions weighed on demand for occasion wear. Longer delivery times meant sales in the rest of the world declined 15% to 185.1 million. Discounting and increased transport costs meant margins fell by 4% to 43% as expected. That must be the gross margin. The group mentioned it's raised its prices to offset cost inflation. ASOS now has 26.7 million active customers with 300,000 added in the period. This respects a slowdown in growth as the group lapsed last year's strong numbers. Topshop brands purchased through the Arcadia acquisition in Feb 21 saw sales more than triple and the group's fulfillment partnership with Reebok and Adidas in the UK will be expanded to the rest of Europe this year. This initiative and other strategic goals together with the costs associated with a LSE listing, are expected to total between 10 and £13 million in the first half. I think there's quite a few interesting points in this, actually. So I think it's interesting that they're raising prices to offset cost inflation. I think the 300,000 new customers is very good because it's up against very tough comparatives. I think it's interesting that it's listing on the London Exchange because that will mean a lot of, for example, like FTSE, I don't know if it would be. It's come down quite a bit, hasn't it? I'll just see the market cap. I don't know if it would be FTSE 100 anymore. <laughs> it would have been about a year ago. So the market cap's 2.3 billion, so it'd be FTSE 250. But a lot of indexes would then have to start buying it. Mm. In terms of the valuation, 
is currently trading at a PE of 22, and that compares to a 10-year average of 52.3, and there's no dividend yield. I think the market cap of 2.3 billion, and when they're expecting profit before tax of 110 to 140 million, and they're growing 10, 10 to 15%, and that's a bad year. I know we've talked about them before in comparison to Boohoo and said we prefer Boohoo, but I think it's a very good business at a very reasonable price. What do you think about these, the trading statement and the valuation, John? Well, again, I'd probably echo that. And yeah, it's a similar business to Boohoo. I think Boohoo has slightly higher margins and it does make more of its own products, whereas ASOS sells, like as you've, as you've mentioned, sort of third-party brands. But I think they're both good businesses. And one of the reasons for not buying them in the past is just it's been more the valuation than anything else and now they're coming into what i would consider you know a fair valuation um so i've actually bought boohoo shares earlier this week i wouldn't be opposed to asos but again prefer boohoo yeah i topped up on boohoo earlier this week as well for full disclosure i'd back either asos or boohoo to outperform the footsie all show over the next five years we're we're hoping so we're hoping, so. well, Boohoo's in the fantasy portfolio as well, yeah, so yeah, we'll, yeah. and we own it personally, so we're particularly yeah. rooting for Boohoo, if we had to pick yeah. one. Probably the most volatile share that I have in my portfolio, though, so I'm trying not to look at the ticker, just uh, wait for the results as they, they come through over the next year yeah. or so, and uh, see whether it revalues itself. Yeah, and I prefer that, I, I probably prefer the brands as well that Boohoo's got. I don't say so like Dorothy Perkins, yeah, uh, Burton, yeah, Nasty Gal, and Pretty Little Things and stuff. Whereas the Topshop brand doesn't really, I don't know, I, I don't think it's, it's that, I don't think it means that much without the shops. But no one's really like, I want the Topshop brand, are they? Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I think that's a little bit harsh. It's a I little think, bit more upper, yeah, higher in the market, I'd say. So I'm just a bit too down market to appreciate it, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I couldn't comment, Sam. Um, <laughs> okay. Right, okay. okay. Um, fine, moving on. So this, well, next company is Unilever. So it's not really results that have been out with Unilever, but it's probably, if you've looked, seen the newspapers in the last week, certainly the business sections, uh, it's dominated. So it's the consumer goods giant, in, listen, puts you uh, 100. And it came in the Sunday Times reporting that Unilever had made three approaches to Glaxo, and it was specifically approaches for the consumer health division, which the plan was that it was going to be separated. And the offer was believed to be in the range of £50 billion. Um, and that was thought to consist of £41.7 billion in cash and £8.3 billion in Unilever shares. And that would have meant that Unilever took on considerably more debt, which currently stands at about €22.4 billion. Euros, and around two times EBITDA, and it would be extending it to something in the region of five times EBITDA. Bloody hell, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. In any case, the bid was rejected by Glaxo, with the division being valued at closer to £55 billion, which would suggest a multiple that's been sort of estimated around 18 and a half times forecast earnings and around 5.7 times forward sales. From a Unilever perspective, the market reacted very badly to it. And shares, if you compare them with the Friday, um, so before the news came out on in the Sunday Times, the shares were down as much as 11%. They've rallied a bit since, now that Jope, the chief executive of Unilever, has backed away from it. 
but I mean, as the shareholder, I wasn't too happy with it. I had owed Glaxo, well, the Glaxo shares, I should say, at one point, and I know they had brands like Panadol, Sensodyne, maybe a little, if you're being harsh, maybe a little bit lackluster. And also just from a sort of, I suppose, Unilever's strategic point of view, they say that they're targeting sales growth of between four and 5%. A lot of those brands have sales growth of only about two to 3%. And they'd be paying you know, quite a lot for it. I was yeah, very much against it. I think the market felt the same. And then the Glaxo shares were up on the news. So you could see who was going to be getting you know the better end of the deal really but thankfully they've backed away with it from it i think the worrying thing is what direction is unilever going to go in now to grow sales i know terry smith had been in the news recently uh, with his statement toward uh, to, to his shareholders saying that uh, he felt that they'd lost direction and where do they grow they i mean they've been underperforming companies that we have covered recently like nestle uh, some of the peers but I mean, I'm glad to see that it's no longer going ahead, but I am a bit worried about the, the, the overall direction of Unilever. Still happy holding the share because I think it is a great company with great brands. Whether it's got the best management going forward, I would wonder. I think it's very, very poor. I think, like, I agree with you. I, I don't think the brands are as good as Unilever's brands. And as well, part of the focus recently, it's been on focusing on the on the top brands. They've been getting rid of the sort of the second tier mm. ones. So to go and spend fifty billion on a load more of them <laughs> seems stupid. I think that I I was not I hadn't looked in as much detail as you. I wasn't aware of what it would do to the debt position. I would not mm. have liked that. Um, yeah. And this is this is a company that we've we've always both liked on the show. I I think as well eighteen times earnings. I think that's more than Unilever's share price at the minute. Sorry, Unilever's valuation at the minute. So they'd be better off just buying back their own shares and they'd be getting better brands for it. So yeah, no, absolutely. It it feels to me like I think it's quite reactionary from management. And I think it's probably more in the interest of management than it is the interest of shareholders. Because I think management are aware that shareholders aren't too happy with them. So at least with this, they they're actually doing something but no i i don't i don't like it at all i think it's and i and i do think it's very very poor from management that they would even i mean i i just i'm not sure why why glaxo have rejected it it'll be interesting to see what happens if they do spin it out as a separate business with the valuation but i don't know they, they i feel like if you're a glaxo shareholder i'd i'd have wanted i'd have probably wanted them to accept that unless they've rejected it thinking unilever is going to come back with a bigger <laughs> yes. offer i just, I, I don't I'm not sure they'll get a better valuation when they list. I don't know if they will go will be listed at 18 times earnings if they do spin it out. Yeah, and I suppose the question is, do do any other big players come in and try and acquire that that from Glaxo because it might fit into other portfolios better? Yeah, but would they pay up? up? Would they would they would they would they pay more than Unilever were going to pay? I don't know. I'd be better off just buying shares of Unilever. I think. (laughs) <laughs> okay or, or best of all dave lewis he's now left tesco's he was a former unilever man he could come back for the top job well i wouldn't i wouldn't be against that actually I, i'm not particularly happy with, i mean they weren't i wasn't they weren't particularly doing much anyway but yeah this i think this is really poor yeah fine okay well we're not gonna have to vote against it anyway because it's uh 
it's not. Oh, I don't. I'm not a shareholder. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I'm just an interested <laughs> observer. I suppose it's it's. Is it in the, it's in the fantasy portfolio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. we don't get to actually yeah, vote yeah. for the fantasy shares. So. No, no, sadly. Okay, so on to more mergers and acquisitions. Uh, Sam? Yes. So this is our US company of the week, and it's Activision Blizzard. We actually covered Activision Blizzard, their last set of earnings, a few a few months ago. I think, I think we both quite liked it. I think it was pretty reasonable valuation compared to a lot of the US peers, some very good brands. Um, I'll just briefly go over those results that we looked at back in November. But total revenue was up 5.9% as monthly active users remained flat. And that was flat compared to last year's much higher levels. The group saw user growth in two of its three businesses, but Activision declined year on year. Operating profits rose 5.9%. Activision revenue fell compared to last year and Blizzard revenue grew 20%. And King, which was the mobile side of the business, grew 22% with 245 million monthly active users. Total operating costs were up to 1.2 billion with a 20.1% increase in product development costs and free cash flow was $498 million, up from $172 million in the prior year. And they had 6.1 billion of net cash at the end of September. In terms of valuation as well, they're trading at a P ratio of 17.2, and that compares to a 10-year average of 19.7 with a prospective dividend yield of 0.7%. They do have some very, very good brands. So uh, Call of Duty is probably one of the best-known ones, Candy Crush, World of Warcraft. We could go down a long, long list of others, actually, but those are three of the bigger ones. So they are in the news this week because Microsoft has agreed to buy them. And the offer means that Activision shareholders will receive $95 per share. And that's a 45.3% premium to the share price before the deal was announced. Purchase will be on an all-cash basis. And the offer values Activision Blizzard at $68.7 billion. If approved by shareholders and regulators, the deal is expected to complete in this 2023 financial year. And the shares were up 29% on the news. If we go and have a look at the share price in a bit more detail, they'd actually been doing quite poorly since, I think it's probably about, since about October. Um, and I think that's when they started getting allegations of, of sexual harassment and stuff like that in the workplace. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they're basically back to where they were in October now after the, after the monster week they've had. So it's still down considerably. So it's currently at $81 a share. It's been over $100 a share about 18 months ago. So I don't, I don't know whether or not this will go through. It's, yeah, it's about 17, 18 times earnings. And a lot of shareholders will probably still be down. They've had sh- the shares with that price a couple of years ago. I guess some of them might think that it's maybe lost its way a bit in the last few months. So they might be pleased to be rid of it. But if I was an Activision Blizzard shareholder... I'd probably be voting against it because I think for the quality of the brands and well, for the quality of the brands and that business, I think to basically get it where it was in October, Mm. I think it's, it's quite cheap. And I mean, for Microsoft as well, you can can see why they're doing it. And I think it's smart, but it's interesting because Microsoft's market cap is, what is it like $2 trillion now? Mm. So $64 billion acquisition. That's like just over... (laughs) Is it? it's not it's not even like it's not even three percent of the market cap mm. i mean there's not many companies that can go and do a 60 what is it what did i say that could do a 68 billion dollar acquisition and do it all cash 
Yeah. They won't yeah, need to yeah. take on debt or anything for that's just gonna come out. <laughs> that's what's that? that's just a few quarters profit. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, so John, what are your thoughts on Activision as a company? And if you were a shareholder, would you be taking the offer? I probably wouldn't because I'd back the company to do better and grow, well, have natural growth in going forward in the future. So yeah, I, I'd be inclined to reject it. But if you're a Microsoft, like you say, fantastic. Yeah, I think if you're a Microsoft shareholder, I'd be, I'd be very, very pleased with the deal and the price because obviously it's, it's going to go well with Xbox, isn't it? It's... Yeah, yeah. Per- I mean, perfect match. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier today, actually, it was saying that of all the big tech companies, Microsoft's probably the only one that would actually be able to get a $68 billion acquisition past regulators because the game inside of the business is just so small uh, that it's yeah, not okay, it's not really going to be an issue. Yeah, or it's yeah, very yeah. likely to be. Um, whereas I think Facebook, because as well, like one of the things Microsoft had talked about, because obviously the, the, the metaverse is all the rage at the minute. Yeah. Um, buying a gaming company like this, it's a good way to position themselves. It's mm. not inconceivable that Facebook could have tried to do the same thing because they've got Oculus. And I think if Facebook mm. could try to buy it, I don't think that gets past regulators. Yeah, interesting. Very um, interesting. So of the six companies we've talked about this week, Tesco, Whitbread, Sainsbury's, ASOS, Unilever, and Activision Blizzard, if you had to buy one, which one would it be? Oh, um, Probably ASOS, actually. Out of those simple, I mean, I think I think it's a fair valuation for a very decent business, and I'd back it to grow ahead in the long term of the current expectations. Yeah, I'd probably be the same. I think my second choice would be between Sainsbury's and Activision Blizzard, but I'm not very. But, happy I mean, with Activision. Now. Yeah, well, I mean, it's different with Activision because it's, I suppose it's the takeover, isn't it? Really? Yeah, but it's still cheap. I think. Yeah. Even even with the 40% pop it's had in the last <laughs> few days, it's it's still only 17, 18 times earnings. Yeah. Which I think is pretty reasonable. So before we go, we do have a listener question. I don't actually have it in front. Do you have it in front of you, John? It was on the I messaged it, the screenshot of it. So it was from what I remember, it was basically would we still be in favor of the house builders despite the maybe landed with the bill or part of the bill for the cladding scandal? Does it sort of does it change the fundamental thesis behind the reason for buying house builders or would it put you off buying shares in them? Uh, for me, it probably wouldn't. There was talk about it being about a billion pounds between them. But, you know, obviously we'd, we'd have to see exactly what that's going to come to. But no, I think they, they've got good growth, good, strong fundamentals behind them in the UK market. And yes, they may have to pay out some of their earnings for this, but it sounds like it's going to be somewhat limited um so i'd i'd accept it and i think it's probably reflected in their valuation as well because i think on the announcement or on the news from michael gove the shares did fall you know come back four or five percent but as a long-term thing i, I wouldn't be too worried no I'd, I'd echo those thoughts i think it's important with stuff like that to sort of almost split it into two because there's there's one-off stuff and then there's stuff that permanently changes the business and mm. something like this, if profits are a bit lower for a year or two because they have to pay for that, it doesn't really change the thesis. Yeah. Um, the business, there's no change to the underlying business. You, you, on the flip side, you do have to be careful because you get some businesses where they seem to have managed to 
have different one-off costs every single year. So although that cost <laughs> won't be there next year, there'll be there'll be there will Centric be has else. been one like that for me. Yeah. So there, <laughs> there is a lot. It is a bit of a tightrope there. But I, I think with something like that, it doesn't really affect the business. It's a one-off cost, and they and they can all afford to pay it as well. So maybe you'll get a you know a couple of percent less as you dip from your dividends for a year or two. But hmm. no, it wouldn't change my thesis if I was looking at house builders or if I owned one. Yeah. Fine. Okay, well, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.